Fred Stoller. You may know me from Seinfeld, Dumb and Dumber, Get Off the Phone, Everybody Loves Raymond, and the original OG Thrill Seeker. You know what I did? I'm going to rent a movie. I'm not going to rewind it. That's why I love this podcast. You are listening to Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Oh, yeah. I used to just uh, return videos and not rewind them. Screw that late fee. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. Uh, my name is Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Uh, not too bad. And yourself? Good. We've had a good week here at Massive Late Fee. You know, Mike, I would be remiss if I didn't mention. I talked to, have you talked to uh, RJ recently? Not really, no. Just like on uh, Facebook.com. I <laughs> I I talked to him somewhat recently, and I believe they're going to begin recording again. The Skeptical Skeptics are our good buddies, so I look forward to that. Uh, if you haven't checked them out, check out the Skeptical Skeptics. Mike, couple of things in the news. One, you sent me one of them, and uh, I sent you the other one, but... Uh, Apparently, they're going to make a Sister Act 3. Yeah. Wasn't that part of the big like Disney Plus announcement like day or whatever? Oh, God, yeah. Yes. They, they. So, Disney, for those of you that don't know, for some reason, Disney planned out the rest of our lives, apparently. they, they There was Marvel news, Star Wars news. There's going to be Star Wars series for the rest of time and movies. Uh, about every subject known to man. Uh, I've seen memes all over the place, like, uh, of just different movies, make basically kind of making fun of them. Like, one of them was Waitress, you know, and it's in that, like, Marvel font and everything. It's like, Waitress, and then subtitle, it says, the one from the first Avengers. Like, that that's a movie they're going to make. Because they, they just... I, I know that there were a lot of movies that they didn't get to make this year, didn't get released this year, and... All they've been doing is sitting in boardrooms planning for the last 13 months, but or however long this pandemic's been going on. But uh, yeah, it was. Did did anything? I can't imagine anything that they that they announced interested you. No, not really. I, I don't think I uh, like heard all the announcements, but um, I, nothing you know uh, really um, sticks out. Yeah, we could have. I suppose if either of us cared to do this, but that's not you know, anything that we're interested in. And I assume you're not either, or else you would have, you know, listened to a different podcast that isn't ours. Um, But we could have spent this entire, this entire podcast just listing the, the movies in all the, the big cinematic universes. And I, you know, that might be the future of streaming, I guess. I'm hoping that movies, that part of what's happening is, you know, Endgame was a huge blockbuster. It made a bunch of money, made a billion dollars. If if they start, if movie theaters really start going away, or or that's not the main way people watch movies. I assume that there will be movie theaters for films here and there in some capacity for quite a while. But I feel like the, it's kind of like with cable, right? So like... Cable still exists, but I think slowly and slowly more and more people are starting to watch TV without cable and, you know, not unsubscribing from cable and, and things like that and getting uh, more things 
you know, through through the streaming apps and, and things like that. Um, and I think that's what's going to happen with theaters. More and more people are going to s- gravitate towards streaming and watching them in their homes. And if that's the case, you're, you ain't making a billion dollars uh, on on a movie anymore. Not on a single movie. The, the, the amount of money that the industry can make from a single movie released in theaters is basically unparalleled by anything. Um, so if that's the case, these blockbusters might go away. You might not see $250 million pictures anymore, you know, but they'll start making movies for 30 and $40 million again. Yeah, no, I think they'll still, uh, they'll, they'll just like with the movie freaky. Like I, I, uh, I watched it this week and, uh, it was $20. I mean, for me, that's, that's less than going to a movie and way less aggravating. Plus oh, I, sure. uh, I fell through it. So I was able to watch it again the next day, you know? So, nice. I mean, that's, that's worth it. I mean, if you cut out the theaters, I know the theaters at first take a very small cut, like 10% and then it progresses. Mm-hmm. I mean, still, I mean, like even, I mean, marketing on your own, uh, you know, your own streaming network is going to cut those costs way down. Yeah, exactly. Um, Disney Plus, to, to to run an ad before another movie on Disney Plus, probably not. Right. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. Like they'll still make money, but they're not gonna the they're gonna need and they're gonna need more content anyway. If they're if they're doing stream, if they're going, you know, not exclusively, but if the majority of your audience is gonna be on streaming, they're gonna need more content. It's not each individual film's not gonna make as much money. It's gonna be more about what you have in total, and. When that's the case, I think that we are going to start to see more mid-budget movies. Like, mid-budget movies almost don't exist anymore. We have small-budget films, and we have the big, big blockbusters. And there are, there are not a lot of small-budget movies anymore like there used to be. And that's a lot of times where you find the, the really interesting, like, kind of innovative filmmaking uh, with, you know, good stories. And I, I'm hoping that 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 makes a comeback because of this. Yeah, maybe I, I honestly, I still have trouble uh, figuring out why it costs so much to make any movie. I mean, right. it, it's, it's baffling. Well, and the, the prices have, the prices of things have come down so much. So like in the, um, well, I got, I mean, I guess kind of going back to, to the beginning almost, but like through the, let's say like the seventies, so like the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, the early two thousands, um, almost all movies were shot on film and film cameras like 35 millimeter film cameras are very expensive and they were at the time a lot of times studios didn't even buy them they rented them because the the insurance on them and the cost of them was so great that it made more sense for them to rent them when they were making movies instead of uh, buying them and, I think that was just part of a studio scam, to be honest with you. You know, it, the studio would act as like a holding company and just rent all their shit out to their own productions. Yeah, that, well, that's they, there's there's a ton of you know no no film studio has ever made money. Uh, that's that's for sure. Yeah, I mean the whole term Hollywood accounting obviously is just indicative of how like corrupt they are. Mm-hmm. But like, but it was expensive. They like they were expensive. They're they're expen- The film itself is expensive, and. You know there are other there are other other pieces of, of equipment that were expensive as well. Now digital film is so much cheaper. You can uh, you know we've talked about it before. Tangerine was shot on an iPhone. It looks gorgeous. You can shoot movies um, on 
you know, like uh, you can get a you can get a nice digital camera, the same kind that movie studios use for like a thousand dollars now. And yeah, I don't understand why movies cost so much. Yeah, in some movies, like um, I think Paranormal Activity was shot on like basically like you know amateur like equipment because I think didn't the guy like pay for it all himself? Yeah. Or even the Blair Witch Project. I mean, those. Some people are like super, like you know, there's like audiophiles who swear they can like hear the difference between vinyl and like digital, which yes. you know, whatever actually tested, they they cannot. It's it's mm-hmm. indistinguishable. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's people. Yeah, I mean, there's always gonna be like you know people who like are so obsessed with like the way a movie looks that like you know if there's not anything but like 70 millimeter IMAX film, they'll think it's like a piece of shit. But I mean, for the most part, it's the story. You're, I mean, with the movie, you know, if you're really uh, the way it looks, get into photography. Yeah, it's like Christopher Nolan. Uh, you know, they HBO Max, they they announced that like all their blockbusters were going to release on the same day on their streaming service as they were in the theater, like the fourth Matrix movie and uh, that Wonder Woman movie and all that stuff. And Christopher Nolan wrote this thing like, um, yeah, we, you know, we went to bed thinking that we were working with the the. Um, the best movie studio and now we wake up to find that we're working with the wor- the the worst streaming app or something like that. I was like, "Ouch, fuck." Cuz he, you know, he's Nolan's worked with them I think basically since the beginning of his career with Warner Brothers and um yeah, he's all pissed off about this because people have got to go to the movie theater, you know, you got to see it in the theater. So he's one of those ones that's like you're talking about those audio files or whatever. It's like if it's not in 70 millimeter IMAX, then um, you know he like he, he doesn't want you to watch it. I mean, if uh, you know if people still want to watch it, there will be enough people to you know. I mean, theaters will probably be more of a neat, like you know they have like the IMAX theaters. It'll probably be the only kind of theaters there yeah. are at a certain point. Yeah, I agree. IMAX and 3D and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree. Somebody wrote. Um, I can't remember who this was. They said something, and this was a while ago, this is before even all this, like, you know, brouhaha. But they said something like, I remember, like, the first time I saw 2001 Space Odyssey was in the theater, you know, surround sound, all this stuff, and it was, you know, totally blew me away. He's like, and the second time was on a 13-inch black and white TV with a friend of mine when we were, like, in this cabin or something. He's like, and it still blew me away. He goes, you know, films can transcend the medium that you're watching them through. And I agree. I think, you know, even, even on your shitty phone, uh, I think that, that films can, if they're good, can have a resonance. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, it's not my favorite movie, but like the Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity, Mm -hmm. they were like, you know, shot really cheaply. And, you know, obviously the, the sort of unique, you know, uh, premise of, uh, the Blair Witch, I mean, people argue there's this movie called The Last Broadcast, which isn't very good, um, that, you know, they claim that The Blair Witch kind of rips off. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't really see it that much. Um, but, I mean, Paranormal Activity not really my type of movie, but, I mean, still, I mean, you know, they obviously resonate with people. You know, there's a lot of, like, enough at least iconic stuff in there that's interesting to uh, moviegoers. Mm-hmm. The other thing that, uh, that you know, you sent me and we, we talked about a little bit was – the fact that uh, the the headline says Hollywood still can't figure out how to adapt the stand because the uh, the stand comes out I th- uh, today if uh, I think it is today yeah on the day you're listening to this um, 
Yeah, it comes out today on CBS All Access, and apparently not good. <laughs> the The first paragraph's the best, uh, with 1,152 pages and something on the order of 25 major characters. The Stand is Stephen King's most ambitious novel, a grim and sweeping tale of a weaponized flu virus known as Captain Trips that escapes from a military lab and lays waste to the world. If you're looking for a coherent, compelling version of Stephen King's pandemic opus, keep on walking. <laughs> right. Wow. So I I obviously haven't seen it yet. Uh, this guy got to, uh, you know, pre-screen it, but not not good apparently. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I mean, it looked. I mean, I think that uh, that what's his name, the Alexander Skarsgård, Skarsgård. I think he'd probably be pretty good. He's a good villain. He was in uh, that True Blood show. I mean, um, I mean, I, I don't know, Greg Kinnear. I like him in every movie I've seen him in, but I yeah. mean, it, it's probably uh, it's probably you know bad writing, I imagine, and plus uh, just condensing all that and uh, you know, even if it's what's it, five parts, ten parts, something like that, yeah. I, I, and I mean, do you really think that's his best work? I mean, it's okay, but it's it's just way too long. I feel like way too much is going on that's not relevant or interesting to me in yeah. the book, at least. Yeah, I agree. It's you know, it's supposed. Here's the thing: uh, he's supposed. I guess he's trying to like build this world or whatever. Like you know, um, like it's a Lord of the Rings type thing, but it's not. It it. The the reason, and I, you know, I, I like Stephen King a lot, but I think I, I think he, maybe sometimes he doesn't understand, uh, you know, some things that when his writing's really good, that makes it really good. I guess maybe none of us do, but the the part of the reason that the edited down version is much better than the expanded version is because you don't need world building in a book like this. Because it's scarier when we when everything is familiar. It's scary. Like the Lord of the Rings needs needs uh, world building because it's a completely different fantasy fa- you know fantasy world than the one we live in. But if you may if you just say you know if you're just doing ordinary like pedestrian description about the world, then obviously everyone's going to be like, okay, the, it's our world. So this, you know that this place that this takes place in, and when this horrible pandemic thing happens in the stand, then, and and it feels like it's our world. That's scarier than building this world of, you know, all these different characters and stuff like that and being like, um, okay, so now, now this is a completely new and different thing in your head. Even if it's subconsciously, it's not as scary because it doesn't feel like it could happen to you. Sure. I mean, I don't know if you ever read The Road, the Cormac McCarthy book. I mean, mm-hmm. look yeah. at that compared to The Stand as far as, like, you know, apocalyptic type thing. Yes. One is way scarier than the other. Yeah, agreed. And it's it's scarier. It's more sparse. It's more desolate. It has more of a... And I'm not the biggest Cormac McCarthy fan in the world, honestly. I like Blood Meridian a lot, and I like uh, The Road. Um, but there are certain books of his that I've read that I'm like, ugh, this is just like... It's too much Cormac McCarthy in this book, but sure. but the Road and Blood Meridian are both you know excellent books, and yeah the the Road is the Road's everything the Stand could be. Yeah, I, I really feel like his best works were, were obviously in the beginning. Like I, I, I'd say, in my opinion, his best book is either Misery or the or the Shining. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think the Or Dreamcatcher. <laughs> God. You know, I, I'm part of a Stephen King group on Facebook and someone was saying that they're they're like, hey, let's list our Stephen King favorites from first to last. Mine's insomnia. <laughs> for laughter? No, for first. It's like holy oh, no. shit. Um Yeah, the, the <sighs> This, uh, if he goes over like 400 pages, it just gets way too boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the like Insomnia is like a thousand pages. The Shining is, the Shining is, I, I don't know if I can say that's objectively his best book, but it's a, it's a pretty damn good, uh, like gothic novel, you know, horror novel. Um, it's definitely the sure. one that if they ever teach a Stephen King book, it'd be the Shining. Um, Misery is really good too, though, and uh, I like um, I like the Dead Zone a lot, actually. Um, yeah, the Dead Zone's very good too. The, the, the Dead Zone, I, I I often feel that that was almost a Richard Bachman book. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I can totally very, see that. The way it ends is very grim. Mm-hmm. Even even the dark hat, not really the dark, because Richard Bachman's not super supernatural. I mean, I mean thinner for sure. I mean, his other works are plausible, at least. But yeah, I, the Dead Zone is very good. I, I I almost forgot about the Dead Zone. Yeah, I honestly like the Richard Bachman books. I think more than a lot of Stephen King books. Yeah, I, I really like those. I've never read Firestarter. Is that any good? Uh, it's okay. It's the Firestarter is kind of the transition of, you know, the Stephen King that I really like into the Stephen King that's occasionally good, but also occasionally long-winded. That's like a, a good tra- like book of the transition between the two. Because I really like, like with Night Shift and everything, those short stories, I like the gritty... Yeah, I really like his short stories. Yeah, I like the, like the gritty, dirty, late 70s and early 80s feel of the, his worlds in those short stories and those novels. Like I, I like that yeah, scrappy like. Seasons. Yeah, exactly. Like I like that scrappy like everything is dirty and everything sucks kind of uh, kind of vibe that he has, and and his books become glossier and like you know just more sanitized almost as as his career goes on. Yeah, but still, I, I really, he really, I honestly think he's better writing short stories and novellas and full novels because, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it, my favorite things written by him are short stories. I yep. mean, like uh, At Pupil is a novella. That's really good. Mm-hmm. All, everything in different seasons is very good. Yep. Yeah. And because uh, it's got what that, The Mist, I think, or is The Mist in uh, Night Shift, maybe? The Mist is a Night Shift. And yeah, the uh, different seasons is Apt Pupil. Um, I think- Shawshank Redemption. Reed Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, Get off the phone. The Breathing Method. <laughs> and The Body. I don't know if I remember that one that much. Yeah, but yeah, so three of those are like, you know, well, well two of those. <laughs> His Ant Pupil is a movie. I yeah. don't say it's a good movie or right. a great movie. And plus, there's probably some rape going on. Brad um, but yeah, uh, I mean, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, uh, very good short story or novella. But yeah, the movie is really good too. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, the body became the stand, uh, yep. another classic movie. Yep. I don't know what's the breathing method about. The breathing method is about a woman who is pregnant and she's like she learns about Lamaz. It's like the early days of Lamaz and everything. And essentially, what happens is spoiler for the breathing method. Um. She gets decapitated 
but her body still gives birth, like during childbirth, basically. But her body still gives birth to the kid, uh, you know, her her baby. And like, I don't know, it's it's not great to be honest. It's the shortest of all those stories, and it's it's you know, it's it's fine, but it's not. It's the it's the, clearly the weakest of the three. Sure. Yeah, App Pupil was actually a very, very good uh, novella, but the movie mm-hmm. was, you know, fell flat in a lot of ways, I felt. Yeah, agreed. I Actually, App Pupil might be my favorite of the novellas from that collection, and it's the it's really good. The worst movie of the ones made from that. Oh, for sure. And and even, like, his later short stories are still good. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's All Dark Full of Stars. Is that yep. the one with Baby Driver or Baby Driver, is it called? Uh, big driver, not baby driver. It's like baby bro- big driver. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. That one's pretty good. Uh, that, it has like one of my favorite short stories. But I have the one where the guy meets a devil and like the devil like you know gives him like a deal and yeah. he just like keeps wanting more to fuck over his friend. <laughs> it was just it, and what's funny is I think in I'm almost positive the beer his his friend drinks like the pretentious beer is called Red Speck Hen or something like that. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I saw that at a store once. And I thought I thought it made me think of that as pretty fun. That's hilarious. Yeah, he's he's still when he forces himself to have a like a word constraint when he forces to get himself to get all the ideas in a short amount of space like with a novella or a short story there you know he's still he's still great. He's still a great writer. Yeah, I liked uh, Mr. Mercedes and uh, I I think it was called Finders Keepers after that one. That one was pretty mm-hmm. good. I didn't read the one after that, but it felt like it was going like in a more supernatural type direction which i was not interested in yeah don't read the one after that <laughs> i think it's called oh end of watch is what it's called i i read it recently actually okay i held off reading that one for a while because like you i felt like oh this, it was such like a a grounded almost back to the you know 70s and 80s style like gritty especially the first one kind of just you know like a cop procedural and I liked it a lot. And then, yeah, the end of Finders Keepers, there's a hint of supernatural stuff. And then there is supernatural stuff. They explain it. They they kind of, exp- or he kind of explains why it might be the case. So it's not entirely supernatural, but it also just kind of doesn't wash fully uh, with me. And it's, it's an okay written book, but it's, it again is the weakest of those, of those books. Sure. I started to watch, or started to watch, started to read this book. Uh, it was a more recent book by, and it came out last year. I don't remember what it was called. I, I took, I borrowed it from the library. Mm-hmm. It's like where a kid is like they have like uh, these kids have like you know basically like fire starter type abilities. Oh yeah. I don't know if you know what it's called. The Institute, I think. I think that's right. Yeah, I started to watch or to read that, but I just kind of gave up. I'm not mm-hmm. too long into it. Yeah, that one. That one's. And I did read. Uh... You go ahead. I'm sorry. I did read Doctor Sleep, which I didn't think was very good. I felt that he just kind of like shoehorned uh, the whole, you know, character into that, you know, idea he had. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Agreed with that one too. Doctor Sleep was was not my favorite, uh, and like you said, it's not. It's a sequel to to The Shining because he wants it to be a sequel to The Shining. Right. Not because that's a natural progression of the story. Honestly, The Shining is is a pretty self contained book. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, one I did like, although I didn't like the ending, was uh, Under the Dome, which came out within the last 10, 15 years, probably. Actually, mm-hmm. probably longer than that at this point. Yeah. 
I thought it was kind of, I thought the end was kind of dumb, but it was, the stories inside it were interesting, but again, it was a very long book for no reason. Yeah, that's one where, that one reminds me a little bit of um, Needful Things. I was going to say Needful Things too. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, because it's, it's like, it's a very close look at this town and all these people in this town and all the bad stuff that they're, you know, in the middle of doing. It's very, it's very clear. It's a very clear uh, allegory of George W. Bush and Dick Cheney too. That, I can't remember the characters' names. Uh, yeah, but the mayor and that. The, yeah, the big boss. Or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he has a heart attack even at the end, and it's like, yeah, I get it. It's Cheney. Yeah, I, I like Needful Things too. That was also kind of long, but I felt Needful Things for some reason. I was actually interested in like the ancillary like stories that were told in that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like again, like with like the book, it if you cut all the stuff that you know isn't really interesting, which is a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you think of if you think of the book, it or even like any of the iterations of the movies, the stuff you think of or like you remember when you think of it is not like you know, oh look, it's the turtle, and like oh look, there's uh, <laughs> right. you know. A giant bat, you know, or a giant bird. I mean, if you threw that in there, it'd be fine. But I mean, they just go to wait. They again, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing from you. No, he just goes mm-hmm. into way too much detail about shit I do not care about. Yeah, let's watch uh, Patrick Hawkstetter uh, jerk off. Jack off, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's he can jerk his friend off, right? Exactly. And then he talks about how he murders his brother in uh, in the crib. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, we get it. He's a bad guy. There's there's a good there or not good. There's a great maybe one of the best of all times especially for the horror genre book, the 350 page book inside it. <laughs> yes, if you if you cut all I mean honestly you don't even really have to explain Pennywise that much. No, there's, it's scarier if you don't. Yes, it's always scary. You don't need to say he's a spider or a turtle or something from yep. a different dimension or world. Or I, I don't even under, I, don't, I honestly don't fully know what the fuck Pennywise is. Is he an alien? Is he a ghost? I don't know. Yeah, I think he's an alien. But here, that's the thing, and that's the that's the lesson that every writer, every filmmaker, anyone you know writing a script or hey, a book needs. That alien looks like a scary clown. <laughs> exactly. Let's have sex with him. Um, that's the the the. The lesson. Nah, let's do a gangbang with a preteen. <laughs> the the lesson that every writer needs to learn uh, is the one from Star Wars, right? So, you know, Darth Vader, this menacing, terrible figure. Oh, he's you know we learn crazy things about him that he's uh, he's uh, Luke's father and stuff like that. But then when you do the prequels and you make it all about him. And we see him as a little kid, like like a fucking toddler, and then a whiny, horny teenager. That takes all the it takes all the power and the fear out of that character. You can't you like he's a masked, mysterious character that's like the evil wizard, you know, in in, in those movies, the first three movies. And explaining his backstory destroys all that. It's better if it's not fully fleshed out. And that's that's what that's what filmmakers need to learn. Not every aspect of everything. And Star Wars, Star Wars is the most guilty of that. 
like uh, the fucking Han Solo movie, right? It's like, where did Han get his blaster from? Where did he get that vest? You know, like uh, who cut his <laughs> who cut his hair that way? <laughs> like they they fucking go into everything. Like who do we need to know this? I wonder if that's just like all the expanded universe stuff, or if they're just like, ah, we got like an hour and a half to fill. Yeah, it, it's a, like it's about, about a guy in Star Wars who doesn't even have a fucking lightsaber. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's just a guy with a laser gun. Is all he is. He's a guy with that with that real loosey goosey laser uh, uh, grip. Like he's barely holding on to that gun. Great. Uh, but yeah. you know, it, it's kind of a kind of it's kind of a, an indictment a bit on how little some people read. When you think with all like his like you know carousing, not car- uh, rabble rousing, Stephen King does against like these politicians. Mm-hmm. Don't you think at least one of them would say, "Hey, at least I didn't write a uh, a three page gangbang scene with a bunch of twelve year olds." <laughs> no kidding. Or, he... or from the author of Insomnia, right? He he loves going on Twitter and. Uh, you know talking about donald trump like that's his he could write he could uh do a novel just long-winded (laughs) i'm I'm sure it'll be out at some point or really you could say the dead zone it's so weird even like even like long long ago i think maybe around 2001 2002 or or something like that uh he had his website stephenking.com it was relatively new and I would visit it every once in a while. And he had an about section on his website. And it was like um, at the very end, like, because it was like frequently asked questions. And then the last question was, uh, you know, what are Stephen King's politics or whatever? And it just said Stephen King is a Democrat. And I was like, wow, that's it's bold. So like, because this was this was in a time period before people were just like, you know, all out there with everything. I was like, that's, that's bold for him to just stay, stay flat, state flat out, like that he's a Democrat. And I never thought about it. Like I never thought about, I never read his book and was like, Hey, what uh, political party is, is this dude? But yeah, he, um, <laughs> he's like, I'm looking at his, uh, his Twitter right now. And it's, he's either talking about, um, his dog, the, uh, you know, um, like the stand coming out or something like that, something like, you know, flogging something that he's doing, or he's talking about Donald Trump or, you know, po- politics in some way. You're fired, also down. Stood- Supreme Court agrees. Clean out your desk and put your fat ass on the street. <laughs> he also is responsible for and, and uh, cameoed in the Legaliers. That's right. Yep. Ugh, the Bronson That movie looks like they showed up on set, improvised all the dialogue, and then just called it a day. Yeah. Like, I, the, I, like the characters don't seem like they believe what they're saying. Yeah, Bronson Pinchot is actually pretty good in that. Yeah, I, Bronson, you know, I feel that Bronson Pinchot is a much better actor than we give him credit for. He was really good in uh, True Romance, too. I agree. I think Bronson Pinchot could have had a a really good acting career if he hadn't been on perfect strangers. Yeah. Like a character actor. Yeah. He would never have been a huge star, but I think he, I think he would have steadily worked as a character actor in, in really good film. Like Scorsese would have worked with him. Come on. Don't be ridiculous. 
Uh, speaking of, uh, well, David Fincher at least would have worked with him, right? David Fincher decided. Uh, maybe. David Fincher decided to cast Bill Nye in Mank. Yeah, for like a, a minute. Did you? Did you? I assumed you noticed that. Like, all you see is is so okay. We're going to talk about Mank, but uh, but Bill Nye plays Upton Sinclair in which actually he does kind of look like Upton Sinclair in the movie. Uh, and all we hear or all we do is see him from behind and like side profile. Um, yeah, profile. But I heard his voice and I was like, that's, that's, isn't that Bill Nye? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I actually knew that going in because I looked, I, I, I was trying to see who was, uh, I was trying to see who the woman playing his nurse was. Do you know who that actually is? Uh, no, not at all. It's, um, uh, it's, uh, geez, what's his name? The drummer from Genesis, Phil Collins, I think. Oh, really? Phil Collins' yeah, that, daughter? Yeah, that's his daughter. Wow. Yeah, Lily Collins is her name. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Mank, uh, I think you and I both have seen, I, I believe we've mentioned that we've both seen and enjoyed uh, Archeo 281. Yes. Yep. And that Mank was played, Mankiewicz, uh, Herman Mankiewicz was played by, um, Mankiewicz, is that correct? Yeah, Mankiewicz, that's correct. Uh, he was played by uh, John Malkovich. He was played by John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and John Malkovich was he, John Malkovich is very. Did you? Oh, speaking of John Malkovich, did you know they renewed Space Force? Oh, they did. I'm so happy. I'm happy. To, I'm going to finish watching it now because I, I did really enjoy it. I, I was. It was a very nice, like low key kind of comedy. I felt mm-hmm. and there were some deliver, like really like hysterical scenes. Yep. Um, yeah, he, he played him like, you know, as a typical kind of Malkovich type character, you know, like kind of like, ah, sinister, but not, you know, kind of funny character. Yeah. Um, but in this, uh, and that movie is really more focused on, uh, the character of, uh, Orson Welles played mm-hmm. by, uh, Lee Schreiber. Yep. Very good movie. That, that's a very good movie. The acting's in it. Uh, great cast. Uh, James Cromwell plays, uh, Hearst. Um, Melanie Griffith plays, uh, the actress that was with Hearst. I forget her name. Marion you know, Davies. He, yeah, there you go. She, even though she, you know, what's funny is in uh, Mank, I didn't realize that was she was played by that Amanda Seifert, Seifert lady until like I read again. I read the credits ahead of time. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, the yeah, guy that was a very good movie, but this is good. I was just gonna say the guy they get to play Wells uh, in this movie is he's got the voice um, for, yes. for sure. I think his name's Tom Burke. Um, he doesn't look exactly like him, but there the movie is smart enough to film him uh not directly on most of the time. And a lot of times his voice is over the phone, so they can kind of add that, you know, a little post production uh you know, to it. I don't know how much this is this guy's real voice and how much they've added to it, but um the voice is the voice is good. Uh and that's obviously that's maybe the most famous characteristic of Orson Welles. Is, yeah, for is, sure. Is his voice. Yeah, the voice is very good. Um, so, yeah, the, the story starts off uh, with uh, Mankiewicz uh, waking up in, uh, in, in, in some kind of a, like a, you know, a house or something. He's mm-hmm. like got like a private nurse. Uh, he's, um, he's, uh, he's talking about, you know, getting back to writing. There's like a case of booze or he's going to try and get him to back to walking. He's been in a car accident. Yep. Yeah, we um, see. I believe that's. I believe that part is actually. Uh, hi- there are some historical inaccuracies in here, which I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll address. Yeah. That part, I believe, is correct, though. Yes, yes, that is correct. Apparently, the the reason is also correct. 
The guy was the the guy driving was getting out a love note. Nice. Yeah, so he's healing up, and then uh, it, it turns out that uh, Orson Welles has a he wants him to write a a script about a uh, uh, William Randolph Hearst, um, who uh, Mankiewicz has actually had like you know quite a bit of history with, because as you mentioned, uh, Mar- Marianne is her name, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, he he was actually pretty good friends with both her and uh, Hearst. Hearst actually, you know, found him to be like a you know very humorous, and he would always have him sit next to him at the table when he would come to his dinners and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, do they say in the movie, or I don't even remember in real life what the really big issue is with uh, with uh, Orson Welles and uh, William Randolph Hearst? Was there an actual reason he didn't like him, or was it just like a target of opportunity type thing? Do in 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 uh, RKO or in this movie? In either or in reality. So in in uh, RKO, um, he Wells gets invited, and I believe that this is correct. Um, and uh, because, well, I'll get into some of the more in, some of the other historical inaccuracies later. But um, uh, I believe this is correct that uh, Mankiewicz invited uh, Wells to dinner with Davies and um and uh William Randolph Hearst and during that con- during the the dinner conversation it turned a little political and I guess Wells shared Mankiewicz's political views more than you know than he, than Hearst did of either of them and they uh you know they kind of sniped each other I guess they just really didn't like each other that much uh from the beginning they they rubbed each other the wrong way and that scene is in RKO 281 but the, it's not uh you know it's not explored at all uh in in this movie this movie uh portrays it as if Mankiewicz basically wrote the entire thing sure and that I, I did read that that was a direction they decided to go with because there is uh quite a bit of controversy over that like uh, some people say Wells didn't write any of it some say it was a pretty, you know, even distribution. Um, this uh, movie kind of portrays it almost as if, like, uh, Wells is an editor or producer who has the idea, just hires a guy to write it. And, you know, in the movie they show at least that uh, Mankiewicz is, like, you know, he, he looks down upon the movie industry already, you know, in its infant, you know, uh, iteration. Mm-hmm. Because he's, you know, like, a real writer. And everyone compliments his writing and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, and this, he, like, comes up with all these, like, in, you know, novel, like, you know, story ideas and ways of shooting movies. They they attribute to Mankiewicz in this. But I imagine most of that would be Wells. I mean, just the directing alone. I don't know that Mankiewicz is writing, you know, oh, dig a hole in the floor and shoot from there and that sort of thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah, he's not uh, – he certainly wasn't writing scene direction of, uh, hey, make it look like uh, the camera uh, travels through the – or travels underneath – the uh you know the um sign of the uh the place where we see Marion Davies and then uh and then go through the glass ceiling uh you know until we settle down at the table where she's talking with a journalist oh by the way it's 1942 and do that with your camera right yeah yeah I mean I'm sure he's not writing that yeah, the movie's kind of interesting because it intertwines, like, you know, the present day, which I believe is 1938. Yes. Does that sound correct? Yes, that's right. You know, actually, I think I watched Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade the other day. I think I'm confusing the two. I think it's 1940 for some reason. But maybe it's 30. I, I don't remember. Well, it, it goes, then, like, it goes time... back and forth between between 1930 and 1940, basically. Um, but a lot of the yeah, movie yeah. Takes... So it goes back to, like... 
a lot of the movie takes place in 38 and 39. 1940, I think the summer sure. of 1940 is when Wells and Mankiewicz wrote the uh, the screenplay together. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of, like some of the first things we see is him befriending Marion, uh, you know, because he's just at a party. And he's this charming guy, you know. He's uh, really he, he, the way he's played by Gary Oldman is great. I mean, Gary Oldman is great in everything he's in. I hope he wins some kind of award for this. He's charming. He's you know he's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He's uh, boisterous. He's he's just like he's he's a joy. Anytime you see him on screen, he's all you want to look at. He's just you know he plays the role perfectly. He makes he makes you want to. I mean, you and I are interested in like you know the whole Orson Welles you know thing. Uh, you know, Susan Kane. But I think even the casual observer would just you know be fascinated by this movie because Gary Bolden is just Gary Bolden. Gary Oldman is just you know so charismatic in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. He's quite a bold man. That's that's right. <laughs> no, but the the one. So I liked this movie a lot. Um, the one one problem that I had with it, I guess, is David Fincher's for some reason uh, Orson Welles hatred, which really comes through, especially at the end, at like the very end of the. Um, yes, at uh, the end, uh, there's like a monologue by uh, Mankiewicz uh, saying, uh, "Orson Welles is here helping me uh, with his speech as much as he helped me with the screenplay." Yeah, and it's just him by himself. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know why Fincher hates Wells so much. Uh, he's like, he said something about, um, oh, you know, it's easy to be a genius when you've got Greg Toland, uh, you know, telling you where to point the camera and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, Greg Toland, like Orson Wells was, you know, like a genius. And, uh, you know, he wrote, at least to some degree, uh, directed produced starred in this movie did he do it alone no i mean like joseph cotton was there joseph cotton was a great actor um uh you know greg toland was probably the best cinematographer of the uh the first half of the 20th century um you know and 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 mankowitz is a great mankowitz was a great writer yeah, he actually uh he worked on quite a few he did one of the earlier drafts of uh wizard of oz as well actually. yeah yeah, which they meant they mentioned in this movie <laughs> that the Wizard and of Oz. And some film gonna... critics were. Yeah, good. Oh, good. And some film critics were saying like, uh, like all of his favorite movies from the twenties and thirties were written by Mankiewicz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and you know, so yeah, he didn't do it alone. Wells, I mean, Wells was a big driving force, but he didn't do it. He had talent. He was smart enough to put talent around him, of course. Um. I mean, that in itself is quite genius. I mean, you know, yeah. there's some people who can just put together, you know, they know, it, knowing, being a good, like, like for example, uh, a good general manager in baseball, you mm-hmm. know, Theo Epstein. He, he's he's not a great baseball player probably, but, I mean, he knows the right people to assemble to get what, it's like a producer type thing. Yeah, exactly. And, um, y- you know, I, I like Citizen Kane a lot as a movie. And I, I think Citizen Kane is a a very innovative and, and triumph of a film in many aspects in writing, in directing, in acting. I think Orson Welles is fantastic uh, in the movie as Kane. Um, I mean, like there, his, his fingerprints, Orson Welles's fingerprints are all over the movie. That doesn't mean that it was only him that was good and only him that, you know, that made it a success, but he, Definitely played a big part in it, and I I don't really understand Fincher's hatred of him, but uh, 
I follow this guy on Twitter. Um, his name is, uh, I don't think it's, like, maybe it is his real name. I don't know. But uh, his name is um, uh, John uh, Franken Frankensteiner. John Frankensteiner. <laughs> and he likes uh, Orson Welles a lot, too, and he's, he, he posts a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff from from Wells and like quotes and things like that. As in, he should fall into a well. <laughs> He's wishing that he fell down a well and died. That's what it says on this card. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so did you know that Orson Welles had a had a talk show that never aired in 1982? <laughs> No, and he does an interview. It's on YouTube, and he does he does an interview with Andy Kaufman. Oh my god, that sounds that sounds like a like a more a more insane version of Between Two Ferns. Kind of, it kind of is. He talks about how much he loves Taxi. It's so it's so weird. What? Yeah, Orson Welles and peace. Orson Welles thinks that Taxi. Uh, is going to save the television from being a barren landscape of, you know, tripe, basically, is what he says. That Tony Danza, he's going places. <laughs> but yeah, the yeah. Movie was, I thought the movie was very interesting. I mean, there was a, there was a whole, ba- the whole backstory was uh, he, uh, he, he had his brother who like uh, who also wanted to be like a screenwriter, so he like kind of helped him get into the business. Um, there was a producer he knew that would always kind of screw people over, but he was always on his side. So basically, Mankiewicz was like the toast of the town the entire time. He was a writer for the most part, and then like there was like a political issue, as you mentioned. Upton Sinclair was a character in this, and it's because he was running against I can't remember the name of the person that the Republicans had wanted to, uh, you know, the Republican candidate. May, it's something and, with an M. May, May, Mamer or something like that? I don't remember. I'm, I'm not sure. But then so Mankiewicz, uh, you know, he's talking to the producer, and the producer's like, well, at least I'm, you know, you know where I am. I'm honest. I'm not flitting around, you know, pretending to be something I'm not. And he goes, he goes, you're clever. He goes, you can't you can't think of a more clever way to support your candidate? Because he was trying to uh, just, like, I think they were doing negative ads against Sinclair, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so basically he makes this entire production, uh, he, he makes this fake news video thing, uh, Yep. Where all the uh, all these people are like you know endorsing, and they have like people who you know in in that time period would be seen as undesirable supporting Sinclair, like you know these farmers and immigrants and you know people that you assume in the twenties from everything I know about history, uh, they were not too kind towards you know non-white uh, mm-hmm. people in those days. Yep. And so I think he he um, so he shows up at the uh, celebration for the governor. Um, uh, all his uh, producer people there are all Republicans. He's the lone Democrat, and he has a drinking problem, which has been established pretty consistently throughout the movie. In fact, in real life, he died at the age of fifty, I believe, yeah, fifty three, from drinking, drinking related causes. Yeah. So then, like, there's this big, like, you know, scene where like he's he has a gambling debt, and they say, you know, thanks for the idea, I'm just going to cancel it, and that yeah. just like enrages him. So he goes double or nothing, and his wife's like double or nothing. You have you're down to nothing. Right. You know, I'll, I'll put the money back in there that you know Sinclair will come back, which you know even at that time it was pretty obvious he would not. Yeah, but Mankiewicz apparently yeah, so it, what, he was apparently known for taking dumb bets. Yeah, at the very beginning he's taking stupid bets too. I think that's where they find out he's in debt. But so yeah, he uh, so he does this uh, you know this big speech like talking about what assholes they are and that kind of stuff. And then he basically like you know he he's not able to be hired for the most part after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he becomes like a political per- or a, 
or a social pariah in uh, in Hollywood after that because, uh, like you said, I mean the the fake news aspect of it is interesting. The guy that made the movie uh, kills himself uh, be- over it. Um, he had Parkinson's as well in real life, and yeah. I, I think that was mostly what it was. Because yeah. I, I, I was curious, as I often am, about like you know, ripped from the headline things. Like when I, when we uh, were watching Narcos, I actually spoiled a bunch of stuff on accident because I was reading like, is that a real person? And oh yes, it is. And he killed this other character that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he, and he does mention in the movie that he's got par- that he has Parkinson's, and he explains like how horrible it is and and everything. Um. There's, but, uh, yeah, like it, that, that's an interesting aspect of it too. And the political stuff is interesting and it's a lot of stuff I didn't really know about, uh, Mankiewicz surrounding the Citizen Kane stuff and everything. Apparently he gets, he's pissed off at Hearst because Hearst, uh, you know, Hearst was a Republican. He pushed for, or I guess he was a Republican. I don't know. He was... But he pushed for uh, this guy Merriman or whatever his name was against Sinclair because they were all they were all worried that uh, Upton Sinclair was a socialist or a communist or or whatever. He was a socialist. Yeah. Um. But they 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 all associate it with. It's weird too because they're associating it with communism, which I mean. Yeah, that, that's what they did. They is a scare tactic. Yeah, it seemed like I didn't was would that I don't know I don't know if that would have been. So much in the public, I mean, maybe among these like thought, elites, but I don't know if it would be so much in the public pre World War II uh, about communism, but maybe. Yeah, not, I mean, the Russians, you know, I think it was what nineteen in nineteen or something is when yeah, the, the czars were overthrown. Yeah, was it, so I knew it was in the middle of the, the first World War. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, so I mean, they'd been you know for twenty twenty five years, they probably already had you know like rumors leaking out of the Soviet Union. Plus, the Socialist Party was actually pretty popular. Eugene V. Debs, I think, had the most votes for any third party candidate, or he might have even almost had like you know the second highest number of votes, being like oh the Socialist Party. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, and then it became conflated with, you know, the Nazis and the communists. So it just kind of like, you know, just like, you know, was snuffed out. But I think it was still like a red scare. I think that would have made sense in the context, especially if it was like, I, I don't know when that was supposed to take place, 38 maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah so then uh, the Mankiewicz shows up to uh, just, uh, you know, uninvited to one of her parties. And he's just like horribly, horribly drunk. Like it's like painful to watch. He's that drunk. Mm-hmm. He just starts telling everybody off. He's not wrong, but I mean, you know, it's not, you know, necessary at someone's house to go there and start insulting them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, like, everybody leaves but Hearst, and Hearst just, like, basically, like, tells him, like, you know, wow, you're a fuck up, and he walks away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, and the, the, the thing, the thing, too, about the, um, the thing, too, about, uh, the Upton Sinclair stuff. The thing that's interesting about it is like that, that part is basically completely fictional. Like I, the, cause I did a little research on this too. Cause I wasn't sure I knew Sinclair had ran for uh, the governorship, but I had never heard of the incumbent dude before who was governor of California. Um, and I didn't know a whole lot about, I knew, I knew Upton Sinclair's like political views from reading his books, but, you know, I didn't know a lot about this, uh, this aspect of it. Cause the, but apparently the, um, as far as Mankiewicz's like involvement, I mean, not really involvement in the, in the, in the actual, 
uh, candidacy, but like his being influenced by it, I guess is completely made up. Like the yeah, I thought I read that he was actually a Republican. Yeah, yeah, and there and a lot, a lot of people were Republican at the time that who we would think of more of as having Democrat ideas now, because um, the you know politics obviously changed a lot. But uh, but yeah, I think he was Republican, and um, you know. Uh, <laughs> It's it's funny because like I guess I don't know if um, Jack Mankiewicz wrote or not Mankiewicz Jack Fincher wrote this uh, screenplay. I believe that's David Fincher's son. No, oh, it's his dad. Actually, was oh, his dad? Okay. His father. Who's just he actually uh, died is, yeah. quite a few years ago. Yeah, that's what it is. Fincher's Fincher's the David Fincher's the son, but um, uh, he's like and it's it it ties it tries to tie in. Uh, two different things, Herman Mankiewicz's life and kind of the writing of Citizen Kane and the 34 uh, gubernatorial race in California. Um, but those two things didn't, in reality, didn't actually link up in any meaningful way. Um, so, you know, it is, it's, it's an interesting story to kind of craft, but it's, um, it's definitely not... Uh, Definitely not, um, you know, reality because, yeah, I, I I just pulled it up here. Yeah, it says Mankiewicz was an outspoken conservative who staunchly opposed fascism. There's no evidence that he was ever a supporter of Upton Sinclair, nor does it make much sense that he would have backed him as a candidate. So, um, you know, that, that part of it is uh, is fairly fictional or, or entirely fictional. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, describing the movie, it doesn't sound very interesting, but it's a it, the performance by Gary Oldman alone is just so good. I mean, the acting is amazing. Uh, mm. It is in black and white, so I mean, I know that throws some people off. I mean, there's no color to it, but give it 20 years, Turner uh, Broadcasting will fix that for you. Yeah, exactly. What? No, yeah, I, it's a very good movie. I actually Charles Dance is in it too. Yeah, yeah. Charles Dance is Charles Dance is not he's not in it much, but he's a really good. Um, He's a really good William Randolph Hearst. Hearst, yeah. Um, the cinematic- Charles Dance is. <laughs> Charles Dance is. Boy George in. Um, the uh, the cinematography is one of the things I like the most about this movie. Um, aside from the performances, like you said, the performances are really good. Um, but I like the cinematography of this. It's shot like... Uh, you know, it's shot like Citizen Kane. It's shot like yeah, a they, movie. They even have like uh, like uh, notes for direction on some of the scenes. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. Like I did know, I didn't know that too. There is a lot of like you know homages to like you know classic film and that kind of stuff in the way it's shot. But it is they, they literally will put like you know stuff you'll normally see on a screenplay, like exterior, you know, mm-hmm. New York City, etc. At, at one point, uh, hit Mankiewicz is standing there with uh, Phil Collins's daughter. And, um, and his, can you remember (laughs) his brother's driving away and it's very clear that it's rear projection. They're using, they're using rear projection. Like they're on a soundstage and they're rear projecting this, this car driving away down this road, which doesn't exist there. And it's blended really well, like way better than it would have been in the period because of the technology that they have, but it's still clear and it's intentionally clear that it's, that it's a rear projection, which is a, a 
um, you know, ever since the invention of CGI and stuff like that is something that they people don't really use anymore because of, of how it looks. Um, but yeah, that those kind of techniques, like he uses a lot of old techniques in the, it's on Netflix, so you're watching it on your TV or your phone or whatever, but in the corner... There, there's that. Sorry, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah the cigarette burn. I, I noticed that too. Yep. Every, every once, every once in a while in the corner, there's that that burn. Yep. And and it's which is funny because yeah, I had noticed that before, and I always wondered wonder what the hell it was. And when I really found out what it was, was in the movie uh, Fight Club by David Venture, where they talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's you know, it's it's very intentional that it's there. Um, like all, all the. All the techniques used to make this movie are very intentional. And I it, it does at first I was like when I saw the the credits and the credits are very nineteen forties, I was like, Ugh, I don't know, Fincher. Are you being are you being too clever for your own good here? Is am I gonna like this? But then the writing also is very period. Uh all their dialogue. Yes. And and it just the all of it works together and it really draws you into the story. This was one of those things and it's not I mean I were I think we're all addicted to our phones. This is not an easy thing for me. This is one of those things I was getting notifications and stuff like that and I just turned my phone over and ignored it because this movie really did just suck me in. Uh even though I had everything in the world that I could to to distract me, I wanted to pay attention to this. Yeah, as you mentioned a few uh, moments ago, you could honestly, if you would have told me this movie was made in nineteen like forty two, outside of some of the you know obvious like modern touches mm-hmm. with like you know especially the effects, I'd yeah. be like, okay, yeah, for sure. And it it all it all works. It all works really well. It all draws you in. So like like I said, I think my my only um my only real point of criticism would be the um the very obvious anti well stuff but i mean even that's like yeah and, and whether david fincher is a democrat or not you shouldn't change somebody's you know political stance that's just that's just rude right but uh but yeah like besides how mormons pay for people to go to heaven who aren't even mormons exactly have you, have you ever heard of that <laughs> no no explain that apparently uh at least in the past uh there were accusations that mormons would uh pray for people to go into heaven, including like Holocaust survivors. They just like find lists of like, you know, dead people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the Jews whose, uh, you know, ancestors were slaughtered in the uh, Holocaust. I didn't think they would be getting to Mormon heaven either way. <laughs> what a- I'm not even sure that's the Mormons who did that. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> That's not the only weird thing about them, but let's uh, move on, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mormon or not? Um. Oh my God. Oh, we should totally do that. Mitt Romney. Um. Mormon. First of all, there's not a lot. <laughs> yeah, there can't um, be. And second of all, um, I know them all. Joseph Smith. Mike's Mike's list. <laughs> well, yeah. There's um. There's the Steve South Young. Park guys. No, they're not Mormons. Oh uh, well, they were right, weren't they? Raised Mormon? Nope, no, th- no. They just happened to grow up by a lot of Mormons, and because oh. Colorado's a Mormon hotbed, yeah, for sure. Colorado, and Nevada, to, like, uh, Utah. You know, uh, yep, Wyoming. Wyoming's like. <laughs> I got a list. More like a skinner. I got a list of famous okay. Mormons. <laughs> uh, Are there not a lot? Because I'm pretty sure there's not a lot. 
Uh, there's no, there's not. I mean, if this is a full list, there's not a lot. No. Um. Okay. So let me, let me think. I'm gonna I'm gonna impromptu do this game. Okay. So I'm gonna come up with some names in my head too. Uh, and right. then I'll, I'll just alternate between, um, you know, people on this list and just people I make up. Um. All right, Gladys Knight. I'm gonna say no. She is a Mormon, apparently. Huh? I don't. That's I, the only thing I know about Gladys Knight is she knows some guys named the Pips. Yeah, that's right. Um, Dion. And I only know that because the white man can't jump. Dion Warwick. I don't think so. I think uh, she, if anything, she'd be like a Latter Day or not. If she's not a Mormon, she's a Latter Day Saint. <laughs> uh, now, what are the uh, Jehovah's Witness? Uh, I have no idea what she is. I just made her up. Uh, Why well, I mean, I didn't make her up. She exists, but uh, she is. Yes. She's not. Um, Madonna. No, she. Oh, well, this week she's not. That's true. Correct. Kabbalah or something like that, right? Uh, John Heater. Something. Yeah, he for sure one hundred percent Mormon. Ken Jennings as well. Who's your next guy? Probably correct. If we're going alphabetical. No, I'm not. Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings is on the list, but I'm not doing Ken Jennings. Um, Amy Adams. I don't think I know who that is. Is that an actor? Uh, actress? Yeah. Is it that redheaded actress lady? Correct. I'm going to go no. She was in Enchanted. But she is. Okay. She is a Mormon, apparently. <gasps> I know. Surprised the hell out of me. Some of these surprised me. I'll tell you what. Uh, Paul Walker. I don't think so. He is a Mormon, or was he's dead now? Oh yeah, that's true. He is dead. Was he a, was he a Mormon at the time of his death though? Apparently, I don't feel that uh, nine Fast and the Furious movies uh, go that well with the Mormon value system. Let me tell you something, real quick. I typed in famous Mormons into Google, and the first thing that came up was found on the web. So if some of these people aren't Mormons, I mean, it's possible. But it says, when I click on him, it says Paul Walker was a famous Mormon. So Not very famous for being a Mormon, apparently. No. Uh, Catherine Heigl. Hmm. From, she looks like a Mormon. She was a Mormon. I, I don't know if she is now. Just says she was raised in a Mormon household. So I guess, sure. Uh, Elijah Dushku. So was, so was Elizabeth Smart. <laughs> That's not, not right. on purpose. <laughs> not intentionally. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god. Uh, Elijah Dushku of Jay and Silent Bob fame. No. She was also raised by a Mormon. She or raised a Mormon. Well, I'm very bad at I'm I'm really bad at this. Uh Ryan Gosling. I don't think so. Uh, raised by... I feel a Mormon wouldn't let their... Really? Yes. You know, I, I think I don't know that much about Mormons. Um, Donnie and Marie Osmond. Uh, yes. I. Yeah, that's right. You got it. Uh, Julia Roberts. Um, I don't think so, but I wouldn't be shocked if she was in some weird religion. No, I don't know what religion she is, but not Mormonism, according to this very limited list I have. Uh, Aaron Eckert. Uh, 
Uh, I, I know so little about Aaron Eckert, so yes. Yes, correct. David Archuleta. Famous singer-songwriter. I don't even know who that is. Uh, singer-songwriter, apparently. Uh, yeah. Yep, you got it. That name sounds familiar. Is that guy like from American Idol or something? I have no idea. Is that the guy who's married to Neil Patrick Harris? Uh... <laughs> Let me see. Is he a kicker for um, the uh, Jaguars? David. Oh, I think. Archuleta. Yeah, oh, yeah. Holocaust survivors and other Jewish groups criticized the LDS church in 1995 after discovering that the church had baptized more than 300,000 Jewish Holocaust victims. Oh, my God. So it baptized them posthumously? Well, y- yes. And then after that, so they basically baptized them as Mormons after they died. Interesting. For the religion, which was not Mormonism. Hmm. Weird. Let's see. It says that David Archuleta is, I guess he's just like, a, he's a, um, he's a Bruce Springsteen guy. Like he's, it's just him. He's got a backing band maybe, but. Oh, musical accompaniment. Oh, oh, he did. He okay. He finished second on the seventh season of American Idol. I guess you're right. Oh, I, I don't know how I know that name. Maybe it was for Howard Stern. Because I, I don't. I honestly don't think I've seen one second of American Idol. He released "Crush," the first single from his self-titled album in 2008. Wait, is that the guy who was with Queen now? Or he did he sing with Queen? Uh Queen and Country. Uh, let's see. I have no idea. Oh, there's some guy from American Idol that was with Queen, but maybe, I, I don't know. Um, he, he's from Murray, this. Utah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's definitely Mormon then. After that criticism, church leaders put a policy in place to stop the practice, with an exception for baptism specifically requested or approved by victims' relatives. Jewish organizations again criticized the church in 2002, 2004, and 2008, stating that the church failed to honor the 1995 agreement. Oh, my God. Stop baptizing us. <laughs> Honestly, oh, though, they did, uh, it doesn't really hurt anything. I mean, I come, mean, come on. You know my my thoughts on the subject. Well, that's but how th- can you, they can't quit. <laughs> I know that it is weird. Like, how are they baptizing? Like, what are they doing? Are they taking like uh, like Schindler's List and d- d- dipping it into water? I don't understand. Uh, no, no, I, th- I, I don't know enough about this. Maybe David Archuleta can help you out with this one. Right. Um, but uh, I think they're praying for people to be Mormons after they die is what I believe is occurring there. And the Jewish I don't people know if there's think anything that beyond- there's, there's going to be a war for their soul in the afterlife. I mean, uh, it's coming from a good place. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you really believe that that what you believe is the truth, mm-hmm. then yes, you're trying to save people. I mean, it's. Outside of that context, it's extremely horrible to do. It's very offensive on every level. level. Oh, yeah. Especially for people who have died because of their faith, which was not Mormonism. Right. Yeah, that is true. I, I don't I don't know. I don't get it, though. And so most Christians believe that you go to heaven if you have faith in Jesus Christ. That basically, it's like your faith in Jesus Christ is what is your key to heaven. Now... Mormons aren't 
exactly Christians, but I mean, they kind of like, they believe in the divinity of Christ. Uh, there's a lot of, I think they have a separate, the book of Mormon, I think is the difference. I assume yeah. they also adhere to the other stuff. They probably go super hard to paint on the book of Mormon. So I'm not sure if they must have a different like system of, um, what is the key to get you into heaven? If they, if they think that they can baptize these Jewish people after they've died and they'll get into heaven that way. I guess. I mean, again, it's, you know, it's coming from a good place, but at the same time, outside of that place, it's very odd. Right. I don't know why they can't just do it in secret. Like, just do it and don't tell anybody. Hey, are you familiar with the uh, the song, uh, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel? I am, yes. I know all the lyrics to that song. How- okay, perfect. Then I've noticed that song a lot lately. Mm-hmm. A couple things really, really bothered me. Mm-hmm. Okay, Do you, if you know the lyrics, remember when he mentions Beatlemania? What does he say before Beatlemania? Um, let's see. Lawrence of Arabia, British Beatlemania. Yeah, British Beatlemania. He's clearly just trying to shoehorn in a word there to yeah. get it to rhyme better. Yes. You don't have to specify British Beatlemania. Unless you're talking about the origin of life on the planet, <laughs> there's only one Beatlemania. <laughs> He's he's talking about the uh, the Beatlemania from uh, you know uh, which four, one? Ten million BC. <laughs> oh, way way earlier than that. But yeah, uh, yeah. The yeah. one in nineteen sixty five, or the one in uh, <laughs> four billion BC. Oh, that reminds me of a joke. Um, England's England's Beatlemania. That reminds me of a joke that I think I think. Oh yeah, it was um, it's uh, the the roast guy. What's his name? Jeffrey Ross. A, a joke that Jeffrey, Jeffrey Ross t- 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 told about Alan King, where he says, um, you know, Alan King oh, uh, yeah. broke onto the scene um, the same time as the Beatles, not the band, the life form. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, England's Beatlemania. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Another part. Again, you know the lyrics. So, so what does he say right before I can't take it anymore? Rock and roll a cola wars. Yeah, that's that's his breaking point. Rock and roll cola wars. <laughs> that <laughs> is weird. You know, uh, the, the czars are being lined up against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Children being born deformed because of thalidomide. I don't really care that much about that. A little bit of trouble in the Suez. Those <laughs> yeah. guys are stinkers. Yeah, exactly. But these rock and roll a cola wars. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I can't choose between Coke and Pepsi. Fuck this. I'm out of here. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna go listen to some British Beatlemania. English Beatlemania. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's I mean, a-, it's a litany of like the worst things that ever happened on Earth, and then rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> the cola wars are what did it it's like the war on christmas the cola wars yeah exactly <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh man how many people do you think you could how many people do you think you could offend if you had a uh, shirt that said veteran of the, the war on christmas oh veteran of the cola wars all of them maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the Christmas element really knocks it up enough. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Veteran of the Cola Wars. I mean, for is Billy, fun. Jo- 
is funnier, but I mean that that will trigger one person. One person will be triggered by that that I know of. Right? Yeah. I, if I ever I mean, if yeah, I ever yeah. meet Billy Joel, I'm I'm gonna buy that shirt and wear it. No, no, you have to get it regardless of how much it costs. You have to get a shirt made like that, and then sit in the front row of a concert when they come back. There you go. And then just just stare at him the entire time. Oh my god. <laughs> point to my shirt i can't take it anymore and he runs off and you're like ah oh, but yeah veteran of veteran of the war on christmas that would that would get a lot of I, that, that's a way to piss everything that's the best thing to do by the way is not to necessarily play, take any hard political stances find a way like, at least online and stuff like that find a way to piss everybody off at once that's the art form and then you got to have another person in on it. So, like, uh, when you're wearing that shirt, they go up to you and go, Stolen Valor! And try and rip it off. <laughs> what kind of drawing could we it have? Was the con- it was the conflict of Christmas. Right. We uh, Would we have, like, uh, like Santa with, like, his throat slit? <laughs> no, it's just a pine tree flag at half-mass. Like, I was at the mall the other day uh, because, you know, it's 1984. Yeah. So I was uh, getting a gift at uh, one of the stores in the mall. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, look, they have those custom shirts. Like, the, like I actually saw them in a different mall the other day. Mm-hmm. I've gone to a lot of malls lately. Wow. Um, You've been to more malls than Tiffany. <laughs> nice. Uh, but, yeah, so, like, they have, like, I've seen these, like, at carnivals, too. They're, like, a custom shirts that you could have made quickly. And it's just, like, king and queen. Mm-hmm. And and so it was like a, you know obviously a man and a woman and like they were walking and then as they walked away and I was there with my twelve year old by the way, um you can see on the woman the back of the woman's shirt it said cunt it's like what what the fuck and it said like big daddy on his so it's like you put cunt on the back of a shirt that says queen on the front Holy and then you walk shit. around in public shit I might have literally done a double take what the fuck. I mean, I, if my camera was good and I could have gotten away with it, I would have taken a picture. Oh, my God. Big Daddy King, cunt queen. What yes. the fuck? Like, that? how? Right. I, what, what, I want to know what the thought process is that goes that goes into that. I want to know every person's thought. The person making the shirt, yep. the person uh, saying, hey, can you put cunt on the back of there? Yes. And, they, and then, like, her her bouncing that idea, like, hey, wouldn't that be funny? I mean, that's not going too far, is it? Like, <laughs> and what kind of person's like, nah. Like, is this somebody who hates her? Like, that's a good idea. Yeah, what the fuck? Or is, or is that kind of person not, like, put any thought into it? Like, oh, yeah, obviously I'll put cunt on the back of that shirt. Oh, my God. I'm surprised. Like, did she have trash tattooed on the, her lower back? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, what the fuck? Although I bet she's at least once posted on Facebook, only God can judge me. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Or you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. Mm-hmm. You haven't worn my, worn my cunt shirt for one minute. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh, why? Why? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't understand anything about that. But yeah, that's that to me is uh, not subtle enough. No. No, that's not subtle enough. You're right. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here. 
Uh, we're off the next couple weeks uh, for the holidays, for the war on Christmas days. Um, but we will see you. Yeah, to get uh, some shotgun shells. We'll see you at the beginning of the year uh, for another episode. Uh, until then, bye. Yes. See you next year. Ah! <laughs>